Father, I pray that God, all the noise that's in our mind, all the noise that's in our heart, God, is keeping us from hearing from You. I pray that it would just be quiet. God, that we would be quiet in our minds. We would not be thinking about anything else. I pray that we would just be still and we would know that You are God and that we are not. God, that is my prayer that our minds would be completely open to Your Word. That we would not have a lot of noise or busyness in our minds and in our hearts going on. God, that we would be solely focused on Your Word, knowing its worth. Knowing how much these words are worth. There's an infinite amount of worth in every word that we'll be reading today. And God, I pray that our hearts would begin to understand that and that nothing else in our lives wouldn't compel us to live like Your Word compels us to live, that we would not put anything higher, we would not regard anything as higher than we do Your Word, but God, that it would become everything that we are that You would be our life and that You would be everything to us that we understand that our next breath literally comes from You. That everything we do matters. And that God, You literally, literally are everything that we need. Everything we need is inside of You. We need nothing else outside of You. Help us to understand that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Kenny gave me the, uh, the option of uh, continuing on in Psalms, because we've been going through, uh, there was a couple of Psalms, and then we went through Psalm 119 for three weeks. And um, he said, you can either do a psalm, or you can do Colossians chapter 3, the first little paragraph, and I was like, I don't know what to do, and that was last Sunday, so uh, then um, then John asked me if, uh, or what I was going to do so that he could begin to prepare for children's ministry back there, and I was like, well, I don't know what psalm I'm going to do, so I guess I'll just do Colossians chapter 3, and um and I did admittedly have a really heavy feeling in my heart about that. I just, I didn't really, I thought, man, I shouldn't preach it because I've, I've actually preached this like two or three times before, and I'm not really sure why, um, but I was just like, I don't need to do that again. Let's find something new. But then it was just like, oh, I guess I need to, to read it and uh, talk about it. So in the book of Colossians, it starts out, um, basically Paul is writing from prison, and uh, if you have any question about that, and, or if you know the answer to why he was allowed to ride in prison, please tell me, because I still have no idea. Because I'm just sitting here thinking, why did, you know, I was thinking about that and say, this guy was riding in prison. You know, we think, oh, yeah, that, that really, uh, that's got to be terrible. And you're thinking, wait, how did he do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what was the, I don't, I don't understand, like, this guards give him some paper and then a, a pen and say, here you go, Paul. 
Um, you can write a letter to your friends at, in Colossae, and uh, you could tell them, you know, how to live for Christ, which is exactly what got you in prison in the first place. So here you go, buddy. Here's some. Here's a, you know, pencil and paper. Here you go. But anyways, he's writing from prison, and um, and he's and th- this church in in Colossae or whatever, however you say that. There's a guy that was from there that went to Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and uh, he heard Paul uh, preaching or something, and or he read the letter to the Ephesians, and he became a believer. So he stayed there in Ephesus for a little while, and I guess he matured in the faith, and he was like, okay, I, I really like this, and this is, this is what I'm going to live for now. And, and so he goes back to his city, Colossae, and starts a church. So that's where we get the church of the Colossian, the Colossian church. And uh, over, you know, after time, over a period of time, there was like, you know, he was teaching them, and this is, you know, basically from what Paul was telling him, you know, like Christ was crucified and that he, is, he forgives of our sins and we don't have to follow the law anymore, those kind of things, basic things. Well, eventually stuff started to uh, kind of slip in, you know, some lies started to creep in, and, and, you know, they were learning, they were like, worshiping angels, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, like, uh, this guy took notice of it and was like, no, this has got to stop. This is getting out of hand, you know. So he goes to, um, he goes, somehow he gets in touch with Paul. And Paul writes a letter to the Colossians about the, the preeminence of Christ. And that's the word he used, basically just putting Christ above everything. You know, you don't have to follow these rules. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to, you know, don't eat, don't touch, or, you know, do this or do that. And, you know, it's not Christ and a bunch of rules. It's just Christ, and, and we can follow Him, and, and He's the only thing that matters. And, and uh, this is how important Christ is, the fact that, that He is the image of the invisible God. That's what He, he that's who he is. And that's just Paul kind of just like sets the stage for these Colossian people and saying, you don't need anything else. You only need Jesus. And he was just basically describing who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and then how we were supposed to live that out. And that's where we're at in Colossians chapter 3 is how we live the Christian life out. We know who Jesus is. We know that he's supposed to be above everything. And we know what he did for us. So how do we live that out? And we have to be careful, even though we are, we're, we're simple church and, and you know, we, we're kind of going against the grain. We all, you know, let's just put that out there. We're not, you know, it's no secret that we're trying to go against the grain. It's no secret that we're doing things a, a tad bit different. And it's no secret that we have partners instead of members. All this kind of stuff. But there's, there's something that can creep in when you do things just a tad bit different, when, and, and, and it's the same purpose. You have the same purpose in mind, the same mission behind everything you do, but there's a thing called pride that can creep in so that, you know, so that we could possibly think that we are actually doing it right and that everybody else is doing it wrong. And then things start to creep in like you have to wear jeans to church. You can't wear khakis. Does that make sense? We start forming our own frame of mind. You know, it's okay to wear whatever you want to wear as long as you wear something, but we're not going to form a rule here that you have to wear jeans with holes in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is not a thing. That's just something that doesn't matter. So we don't care whether we wear slacks or whether we wear jeans or a suit or just a t-shirt, long sleeve, short sleeve, shorts on the stage. It doesn't really matter. I could wear a backwards hat on stage if I just didn't want to. You know, I mean, those things don't matter. So we start forming these rules and these, this pride starts creeping in thinking that we are doing it 
it right, yet everybody else is doing it wrong. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to you know, impose everything that we think on everybody else out there. And that we're not, you know, we look down on people that have the steeples still. And, you know, they have like 100 gables on their church. And, and you know, they have a big sanctuary that has like a 40-foot high ceiling. You know, I'm just like, how did you even build this, you know? And it's just like all these kinds of things. We look down on those things, yet they have the same God. Do we understand that? They have the same God, and the, the same Jesus that they worship is preeminent, just like this Jesus that we worship. It's the same. It's all the same stuff, and there's still people in those places, and they have a heart just like we have a heart, and their hearts can be changed just like our hearts can be changed. Yet, right now, right here, right now, we're going to read God's Word so that our hearts can be changed even more, so that our roots can grow even deeper into Christ, so that we can just go even deeper in our relationship with Him and understand that no matter what we're doing in, in a tin building or in a giant church down the road, no matter what, Jesus is number one. And that is what unifies the church. Yeah. Not the way we dress, not black on the walls versus white on the walls. It doesn't matter. Christ is the uni unifying piece in all of this, and He is who we live our lives for individually and collectively. So who is number one? Who do we live for? It's Jesus. It's a simple answer. It's easy. We understand that, but do we live that out? Do we live that out? So here's the context of what we're going to be uh, reading about today. And I'm just going to read from Colossians chapter 2. Yes, I have notes. That's not a sin either. So... Um, Colossians chapter 2, this is a context, this is just a breakdown of what is before we're about to read. And yes, I'm going to be reading all scripture. That's okay, because that's the only thing worthy of reading, really. So, in Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You must continue to follow Him. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and spiritual powers. In Christ is the fullness of God. So we are also complete through our union with Christ. When you came to Christ, your sinful nature was cut away. You became like Him in His death and were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead on the inside because of your sin. You were separated from the life source. You were raised to a new life because He forgave your sins. He canceled the record of our charges by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities and shamed them publicly by His victory on the cross. You have died with Christ and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong Devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. So just a breakdown of what 
is right before what we're about to read is that in Christ lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And they're hidden. And the fact that He forgave us of our sin, and because of that, we are raised to a new life. A new life. It's new because you were never alive before. You were dead, now you're alive. And then because now you have a new life, you are no longer enslaved to the things that you once were before. These Colossian people were enslaved to lies. You know, they, they, they knew about Jesus, but they weren't fully devoted to Him. They, they didn't fully look at Him for who He truly was. They had Christ and some other things involved with it. No matter what those things are, they're lies. Lies. And so we can take that and we say, we have Jesus, and then on top of that, we pour lies into our lives every single day. We pour lies into our lives through music. We pour lies into our lives through movies, through our friend groups that we fully trust. We're not trying to be a light to those people, but we're hanging out with those people, fitting in. So we're pouring in lies, we're believing them. We pour lives into our life through radio talk. We pour lives into our lives through TV shows. There's a lot of places that we pour lives into our life. And it affects us in a lot of different ways that we don't even realize. Because these Colossian people had no clue that what they were believing was a lie. They just knew they didn't have the full power of Christ. They just knew that, that Christ was something. And the person who knew who Christ truly was was telling them, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he did for you, and this is how it should make you act. Not because you choose to act that way, but because of who he is inside of you creates this new life in you so that when you live it out, it's a new life. It's something else. It's something different than what you used to be. And so we're going to start in chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Since you have been raised to new life. Let's talk about that. Because the reality is that a new life is not just new habits. A new life is not just because you didn't used to go to church and now you do. And you've replaced your activities with church activities. That is not a new life. That's new activities. Those are new habits. That's a new fad. If the only difference in your life is a replacement of 
bad activities to what we think is good activities or a positive change, that is not a new life. That's the same life lived in a different way. A new life is one that has life. One that once was dead because of your sin. And we all know what that feels like. If you have new life, you know exactly what it feels like to be dead on the inside. And if you're dead on the inside, you don't know what life feels like on the inside. You know that you're dead. You know that there's something missing. You know that through going to these parties or hanging out with certain people or pursuing a certain career or a certain degree or you're, hang, you're watching these TV shows or you're listening to a certain music or whatever it may be, you know that everything in your life has a purpose of filling that, that void in your heart and has a purpose of giving you meaning. You're searching for something to give you purpose and to give you meaning, whether it's five different things or just one. Because we can look at it and it's like, well, I'm going to pursue a husband or a wife because that will make my life good. And on top of that, I'm going to pursue a good career. So when I have a good career and a good husband or wife, that means that I'm going to have a good life and it's going to fill that void. And by the time you get those things, you realize that that didn't quite cut it. So now you got to have some kids and you know, my whole world is my kids, and I'm going to bring them to soccer, and I'm going to bring them to baseball, and I'm going to spend my whole life pouring into them and making sure they have everything they can get, everything they need, everything they want, and that's going to be my whole life because you're ignoring and you're avoiding the fact and the reality that you do not have life and that everything you could pursue could never bring you life or satisfaction. A new life is realizing that and saying, I'm going to go to the source of life, to the tree. I'm going to go to the tree, and I'm the branch, and I'm going to be connected to that so that I can grow. If I am not connected to the tree, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall to the ground. I'm going to be real brittle. I'm not going to grow. I'm going to decompose into the ground as if I never existed. I'm dead. And my life does not matter. My life has no reason. My life has no purpose. My life has no meaning. But when you connect to the life source, you are growing. So that is a new life. When you become alive. It's not new habits. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, who is the life source, He is that tree. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. That set your sights or seek or think about the realities of heaven is literally talking about your disposition. It's literally talking about like where you are positioned, where you are facing. It's literally, basically, you think of it as a compass. How a compass will always point north. North is the, the sight, is the reality of this. And our lives should look the same way. That our entire life should be dispositioned, should be pointed towards, should be seeking after this one thing. 
The realities of Christ, the realities of heaven, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And that may seem a little bit confusing, sitting at the right hand of God, the place of honor. All that saying to me, because I, have, I don't have a seminary degree, I'm looking at it and I say, that's the only thing worthy of looking at. Yeah. He, is seated, he is seated at the right hand of God in the place of honor, the only place of honor, the highest place of honor. He is increased and we are decreased and we are setting our sights on Him. He's the only thing worthy of setting our sights on. Yeah. And the realities of heaven is real reality. That is the real reality. What we think of as reality most of the time is not actual reality. And we'll talk about that in a second. It says, in verse 2, it says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So since we've been raised to a new life, I'm going to assume that every single person in here has a new life, has been raised from the dead on the inside and your heart has been changed and you're, now you don't have a heart of stone but you have a heart of flesh I'm going to assume that everyone in here is that so I'm going to ask the question what did you used to think about? when you were dead what did you used to think about? what captured your your mind and what captured your heart when you were dead? What was the thing that completely like engulfed your life to the point of that's what you're going to live for? What were those things? Was it you know money or there's, there's plenty of things probably going through your hair right now, but what did you used to think about? I know what I used to think about, and I thought about them constantly. And sometimes I still look back and revert back to my old ways, but it doesn't feel the same. You know, you look back and you think, well, I used to think about this, and that used to be fun. And you think, well, maybe I should try that, like right now, and see if that's still fun. And you're miserable. So think about what you used to think about. Now think about what you've been thinking of since you came to life. This new life. What do you think about now? What are the things that, that capture your mind? What are the things you spend your time on? What are the things that make you cry? What are the things that just have you so broken on the inside that you, you can't eat? What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish in your life? What are the things you think about now? Now I want you to think about them together and say, are they different? They, they, they might have changed, kind of like your activities might have changed. It might have went from one bad thing to a, another bad thing, or from a really, really bad thing to a not-so-bad thing. It's just, you know, a little bit better. Not, not, it's not that bad. What do you think about is it the same? I'm going to name some things that we, we probably think about. 
We think entertainment is necessary for life. We think we've got to have something entertaining us at all times, whether it be TV or music or whatever it may be. Solitude and silence is not a, it's not a thing. You, you don't, don't do that. Don't sit in silence. That's weird. That's what we think. We think some things that are against God, God aren't that bad. Not that bad. We think that our looks matter. Ugly versus pretty. We think spending 163 out of 168 hours of the week apart from God is normal and okay. We spend, give or take, about five hours at church. It's okay to gossip so long as it's the truth. We think we are wise even though more often than not we pour lies into our mind instead of God's truth. So is your wisdom really foolish? We think that it's okay for a person to be our whole world while singing along at church saying that Christ is our everything. Is your, are your kids your whole world? You ever posted that on Instagram? Your kids are your whole world. So-and-so is your rock. So-and-so is your whole life. When we come to church and we sing that Christ is our everything, which one, which one is it? I don't know. We think money is important. We think that someone who is lukewarm should just keep coming to church and us not saying anything to them because at least they're coming, right? At least they're coming. They may be living a terrible life that's killing them. And we have just the slightest bit of compassion on them, right? Hey, but just let them keep coming. Maybe they'll hear a word from the Lord while they're here at church. When that's it's not the whole truth. We avoid the truth in that situation because, honestly, if we really loved them, we'd let them know outside of church too. And we'd let them know that church is not the answer. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. We think church is the main source of spiritual growth. We think all music is okay as long as it doesn't cuss that much. We think movies are okay as long as they're PG-13, or if they're funny and they're rated R, it's not that bad. Man, that movie's got a lot, but it was funny. We think alcohol is okay in moderation because it's not a sin. It's not a sin. It's okay to drink, you know, when you go to a special occasion and you know. You don't have to be a light there. You don't you know, you don't have to look any different there. Because, you know, it's normal. You know, they have wine, you know, they nice dinner, you know. Drink a beer, man. It's it's fine. It's not a sin as long as you don't get drunk, you know.
partly truth, but not fully. We think skin color and culture matters. We say it doesn't matter, but our thoughts beg to differ. Tell me skin color doesn't matter. Tell me that's not what you think. We think sex outside of marriage is understandable because if anything is natural, it's sex. It's just a natural next step. When in all reality, it is probably the most distracting sin that you could possibly partake of. It's no worse than the other sin, but the Bible says it is different. Because it captures a part of you that nothing else in this world can. But we think and we say and we act as if it's understandable because it's just natural. Or that it's not that big of a deal. As long as you're not on drugs or you know, doing things like that, and it's it's really fine. We think we need certain things when in reality they're just luxuries. Cars, pools, air conditioning, houses, a nice couch, a comfortable bed. All kinds of things. We think I need this. Or just in normal conversation, you'd be like, well, I need this. Should we not think about what the word need means? When in reality, most of the times, most of the time, when we say we need things, it's just a luxury. It's a want. It's a desire. We think we need real food more than God's Word. Job says that he desires God's Word more than he does food. (laughs) That's amazing. What's even more amazing to me is we think that's weird. If someone said that and they really meant it and they weren't in church, like if it's not like a churchy conversation, you know, where like, oh, God's my everything. You're like, oh, yeah, mine too. It's like you really think to yourself, I literally don't want to eat because my heart so longs for God's word, the bread of life. We think that's weird. We think it's weird for someone to read the Bible more often than they don't. We think it's weird. So I guess what I wanted to say through all of that is just to get your mind thinking because most of the things that I said were only half-truths. You know, food does matter, you know? God, God knows we need food. 
Don't, don't worry about that. God, God made us to where we had a stomach, and he made things like plants and animals so that we could eat them. That's how he made it. But we take it a step further. So what I wanted to say is our thoughts do matter. And what we do and what our lives portray does matter. The only thing worthy of our thoughts and lives is Christ. And not one of those things that we just mentioned would you say God is leading you to do. But somehow we justify it. I'm going to see this movie tonight. I just felt like God was leading me to do it. I felt like the Holy Spirit was, you know, leading me to watch this film. Man, I just, I really want to listen to this song right before I go to church because I feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting me to listen to it. I really feel like I should just, you know, grab a beer, me and my bud, grab a beer before we go to church because, yeah, I just, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me to do that. It's not a sin, you know, because we're not getting drunk, so that's good. Not one of those things would you say God is leading you to do. Not one. But we, we think it's okay. So what do you think about? Your thoughts matter. Because we tend to think about things that are against God. We really do. And the reality is, is the things that we think about ends up being how we live. It goes from here to here to here. Yeah, we think that what we think about doesn't matter. We think about certain sins as, as more than others, and we indulge in certain things that we know we shouldn't, And we let them pour lies and thoughts into our brain. Like, for instance, pull yourself up by your book. You got this. How about that one? You got this. How big of a lie is that? Yet we'll buy it on plaques and put it in our house all day long as long as the piece of wood is kind of rustic looking and you know, looks real good on the shelf. We will buy that crap all day long. You got this. You are strong. You know what? You can live this life all on your own. Forget the haters. They don't matter. You know, because what you do, you do you. You do your thing. No matter what anybody else says, you do your thing. You find you a good husband, you find you a good wife. Oh, you got a good life. Oh, yeah. You're going to have a good life. You find a good husband or a good wife. I've known the best people. He ain't got a good life just because they got a good husband or a wife. I have an amazing wife. That doesn't mean my life is going to be good. Doesn't mean that everything's going to go right or that I can lean on her. For everything, you can't. I wouldn't put that kind of pressure on my wife. She wouldn't put that pressure on me because I can't handle it. If I knew every thought she thunk, I could not do it. 
I will fail. I cannot provide every breath. Yet we depend on people. And look, I understand that we're going along right now. That's what we think. That's what we think. We think that certain things matter when they really don't. We think that we need to go to lunch right now. That we have a certain bedtime and a certain schedule and an agenda we have to stick to. We've got to do this. That's what we think. Now we're supposed to be thinking about things that are heavenly. We're supposed to be setting our minds on the things that are above, not the things that are below. Now let me read something. This is crazy. Y'all probably never heard this before. Let me just read something. It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person by transforming the way you think. We limit what God can do for us so much when we limit how He changes our thoughts. Because we want our thoughts to stay the same, but our heart to feel different. We don't want to feel overwhelmed. We don't want to feel this, this pressure of life, yet we don't want our thoughts to change. So there's our thoughts. And it goes on to say, for you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. Embrace it. Don't be scared of it. It's okay. You died to this life. That's a good thing. When you die to this life, there's certain things that come along with it. You're hidden in Christ now. Your real life is hidden in Christ. You're just here. You've heard it. You're not of this world. You're just in this world. We are not of this world. We are of heaven. We, we have a heavenly home. That is where our heart resides. That's, that's where we will dwell for eternity. But our real life is hidden in Christ. And we do not copy the behavior of this world because we have died to this world. And there's a reason why we are a light because we are different. If we are not different and we have not died to this world, what hope do we give to the rest of this world? Because they want to die to this world. And we're like, well, I don't really, uh, I'm just kind of like halfway in, halfway out. They want to die to this world. They want to die to these pressures. They want to die to constant, unending pain and sorrow in their heart, depression, demons, all kinds of stuff. They want to die to this world. And we're acting like we don't. Of course it gets lonely. Of course it's hard. But you have Christ right here, right here inside of you. You've got Him with you. You are hidden in Him. Hidden meaning three things. That you you are in relationship with the Father and the Son. That your life is hidden in them. And another thing is that the world cannot understand. 
Of course they won't understand. That, you're trying to help them understand. It's, it's our job to be the light. We're trying to get them to understand. And then third, that our eternity is secure. Said and done. We, when we die physically, we will be alive with Him forever. That we get to spend forever with Him. Meaning we don't have to worry about this life. 80 years, 80 billion What's more important? Your thoughts now or what you'll think when you get there? And when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. What does that say to me? That says that now that I've died to myself, my new life is Christ Himself. Christ is my new life. Meaning that He is my literal life source. That I understand that my life comes from Him and Him alone. And it also means that I will follow Him. That his life will now become my life. What he did will now become what I do. What he said now will become what I say. That is my life. And it says that we will be revealed. And when he is revealed in all of his glory, we will also be. What does that say to me? What does that say to us? The fact that he is worthy of living for. He is the only thing worthy of living for. He's the only thing worthy of our thoughts. He's the only thing worthy of our ways. He's the only thing worthy of submitting to fully. He's the only thing worth dying for. Anything else comes short. Everything else falls short in comparison to the glory of God. His glory is our new purpose. And His glory is our satisfaction. His glory is everything that we need to live and to sustain us. It's the very thing that will cost our life. So will you embrace it? Will you submit your thoughts to be changed by Him? Because if you don't, your life will not make a difference. Will you submit everything you have to Him? And it sounds radical, but that's what the Gospel calls us to do every single time. Every time we read it, we should feel compelled to say, I don't want my life. I want Jesus' life. I want His heart. I want His eyes. I want His thoughts. I want His ways. He is everything. He is above everything. He is number one. He is preeminent. He's the only thing that matters. Will you embrace that? Will you take on His life and give up your own? If you feel Him calling you to Himself, don't think about it. Submit your thoughts to Him. Submit your ways to Him.
think there. Now that he's calling you, think there. Think up. Think above. Don't, don't, don't think about here. Don't, don't think about all this. You're scared. It's a change. But you're dead and, and you're about to come to life. It's a good thing. So let's pray. And let's just watch that happen. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. God, the fact that it is worth an hour and a half of our time. God, that our thoughts, you are worthy of those. You're worthy of thinking of day and night. And God, I pray that right here, right now, that you would work in people's hearts, that you would replace their thoughts with yours, that you would replace their ways with yours. Do you comfort them as they are scared? God, that you would give them strength as they are weak so that they can follow after you. God, give us strength to follow after you and to submit completely to your ways to who you are, to the love that you show us, to the love that you reveal to us on the cross by nailing our sins, the very thing that separated us from you. You nailed those to the cross and put them to death. You cut away our sinful nature and gave us a new life. Help us to embrace that right here, right now. Forget about the time. Forget about lunch. Forget about rules. Forget about every single thing that we could possibly think of. Let's think of you right now, Lord. Let us praise you. Let us worship you for who you are because you are worthy, truly worthy. In Christ's name, amen.